Welcome to episode 8 of MADE, the podcast about purpose-driven design, making, and manufacturing. Today we're going to discuss some stories of cities. Let's continue the conversation. Hi everyone, welcome back to MADE. With me as always, I have Ray Peña. How you doing? And Claudia Bergen. Hello. And I am Jose Valcarso. How's everybody doing? Well, I know how we've been doing. <laughs> yeah, 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 after that move. Yeah, the big move for us. We're in the new studios, which is our, <laughs> our living room. <laughs> the main studios. Yes. Slash yeah, went room, from, slash dining room. Yeah, it went from the west side to the east side. Yeah, yeah. So for everybody, I, I mean, if you follow us on, on Facebook at all, we've seen that we've been moving this weekend, this long weekend. It's been a long move, um, and we're finally in the new place. Got a couple of things still to get here. And Ray, of course, we got to see Ray because he was here helping us move. Um, yeah, and the good news is that only 50% of the work is done. <laughs> that's, that's good news. True. I don't know how that's good news. Yeah, no, that is very true. But at least we're in the new place. We have so much more space than we had. We've been living in a one-bedroom apartment. And it was a large one-bedroom apartment, but for 10 years, we needed more space. Yeah, I think you more than doubled your space now. Oh yeah, absolutely, and we have a yard, and you know it's going to be good for um, for some of, for making. You yeah, know, it's we good have for more, making. Yeah. We're now have you get a place space. to work on your projects. Mm-hmm. Exactly, which you saw. I have a many of them. Many, yes. Yeah, from you know lockers that I want to convert into something to a bunch of uh, of model kits that I want to do and furniture, so furniture, yeah. yeah, that I want to work on. So yeah, it'll be it'll be good. It'll be good. So uh, thanks, Ray, for helping us move. Not a problem. <laughs> And um, let's jump right into the show. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's go to the news. All right, cool. So, our first story, um, Claudia, why don't you tell us a little bit about this story? Yes, so it's uh, from the Global Citizen. It's about Barcelona. Uh, The city of Barcelona plans to ban cars from 60% of its streets which is really interesting um, because of I as a, if I were a citizen of a resident of Barcelona I I, I would have many questions that I'm wondering oh, yeah, <laughs> so I'm I'm hoping that it's a it's a very thorough, thought out plan um, so it, the news article is coming from global citizen uh, it mentions that one of the reasons why, well, a couple of reasons why they're doing this is because of air pollution issues, premature deaths, mainly because of um, emissions, and unhealthy levels of noise pollution. Hmm. And something um, we don't think about usually. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not something. It's definitely something we don't think about. But I also believe that it's, you know, like. I wonder how how much how noisy it is that it gets to well, that degree, that and, and I don't really, really think it's that noisy. Well, I wouldn't say un- unhealthy. Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> like, are people yeah. dying from hearing too much noise? Like, yeah, how? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure there's tests that they're doing, so but you know, maybe damage, has has increased a lot. Well, it's also an not old any noisier city. than than where you guys live, is it? Like, in I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine yeah. I really couldn't imagine. I really don't. I mean, and you know, noise comes from different sources, right? So you have to really con- consider that as well. So I, mm-hmm. I really don't. 
I really don't understand that part. But um, yeah, so it, it's basically going to create these uh, super blocks. Mm-hmm. And the, the way that they're going to create the super blocks is they're trying to encourage more um, pedestrians and move drivers, cars to drive on specific areas. So redirect traffic, right? Mm-hmm. What about, right? Do you have any any concerns about yeah, these? Yeah, no, uh, I thought the idea was interesting, although the article was kind of vague. You know, it, mm-hmm. it didn't cover anything in specific, and it's actually quite a short article. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think you covered all, you know, all the fine points. Um, what's, what is interesting is they don't really say how they're establishing these super blocks, but the intent is that the, a lot of the road space is going to be reclaimed for pedestrian space. So and and as a pedestrian space, I, I think they also uh, assume uh, and they mention it kind of vaguely as well uh, to create green spaces along those same corridors. So it's repurposing existing uh, paths and corridors and to eliminate the motor vehicle and all the associated noise and pollution along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would definitely be interested to see exactly how they intend to do this, because, uh, as you know, when you're dealing with city projects, It'll take you 10 years to plan something and uh, <laughs> at least that long, if not longer, to implement it. So mm-hmm. I'm very, very curious how they plan on doing it. I think it could have some interesting potential. Um, but at, at the same token, they could make a real mess of it at the same time if they're not careful. Yeah. Yeah, you know, when we were in Barcelona, I didn't recall it being that bad. I We also took a lot of public transportation. Mm-hmm. And I was not impressed with their public transportation, specifically their metro system. So if this is going to put more people in that met that terrible metro system, I don't know. I, I, kudos to them because it's a very aggressive percentage number. Yes. Right? Yeah, sixty percent. It's a huge amount. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really surprised that they didn't mention the Ramblas. I mean, because they do have existing uh, green infrastructure that's right. pedestrian friendly. I mean, the, the Ramblas are are. Um, example you know our case study samples of throughout the world of you know what you should do with pedestrian and uh open core open pedestrian corridors throughout the city and this is in barcelona and then it's like that i don't understand why they wouldn't even mention that i it's it's an i think it's an interesting it's a it's a good goal to have yeah for it'll be interesting to see how it's implemented yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, something to keep yeah. an eye on, I think. See, see if they if they carry on with that plan, or see if uh, this just yeah. sort of goes by the wayside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the vagueness of the article really doesn't let you know how far along they are. Right. I'm not sure if you know the infographics really were not very informative, very <laughs> but <laughs> yes, uh, they kind of failed in that. And then you just you don't really know what their intention is. You know the 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 design idea the you know the vagueness of it but you don't really know what they what their plan is yes yeah. right. cool well, cool let's go to the next story uh which is one that you added ray and it's called useless machine for sorting rocks tell us a little bit about this yeah you know <laughs> well i thought it was funny because we talk about all these machines and and all these developments that uh you know in previous podcasts that we've uh, are quite impressed with mm-hmm. but uh what i thought was interesting about this is that this machine basically um, is as the title says, it's it's pretty much useless. However, <laughs> what I found interesting is the implementation of technology and software to be able to do this. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and what this machine does is it takes rocks from a riverbed and it actually sorts them geolo- in geological order. So they, uh, by age, you know, they're, they're sorting the rocks by age without any human interference. The, the machine runs on its own and, it, and it, I'm not sure if you saw the video, uh, takes a big pile of rocks that somebody had have dropped uh, in you know, random pile, and it sorts them very nice and neatly in clean lines. And if you watch it carefully, it actually makes adjustments. It'll it'll pull a rock out of a place once it discovers another rock needs to be there. Mm-hmm. So it, it's taking a lot of like CNC technology, like three D printing technology, scanning, uh, photography, and of course it's evaluating. It's it's evaluating, calculating each and every rock. Um, which is something that is done in manufacturing to inspect parts. And in in, when you mass produce parts, not all of them come out perfect. So usually you photograph, and if there's a defect, it's pulled from from production. So here you have a lot of different technologies coming together. And yes, it's it's useless, but it's it's quite interesting because it uh, before this somebody had to do this by hand. You know, they want to know this information, and usually a person is doing this. So. It, it is, uh, yes, it's a useless machine, but it's also a labor-saving machine. And in that regard, it's it's showing how yet another machine built by people is replacing people. <laughs> uh, but but otherwise, it's, you know, it has no practical function other than sorting the edge of rocks. But I thought it was interesting nonetheless. Mm-hmm. I really like that. It's, it's from Popular Science, and I really mm-hmm. like the title, The Beautiful Machine, because yes. I, I was mesmerized. And literally, I was just sitting there watching the video and I was like, this is beautiful. This is artistic. Oh my gosh, this is so amazing. And you really get to the point of just, you know, the minuscule and the detail of, you know, lifting the the stone and really putting it, placing it in the right location and then making, you know, like making another assessment. Is it the right location? Um, from an artistic perspective, I really think it's great because they, they also put this in a... If I'm not mistaken, in a museum, I thought yeah, it's, or in it's, a, an, it's a, a display, a gallery, right? It's in a yeah. gallery space, yeah. and I think that's really, really cool as well because it shows how technology, uh, it's it's that uh, connection between technology and art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree with both. Of you. I don't think it's as useless as it said as it's saying it is because you right. I mean, a person would have had to have done this before. How many hours would that person have been at it? You know, this machine can just keep doing it. Um, yeah, all night long, just let it run. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like there'd be other uses for this, because um, I, I feel like you could program it to, you know, make something more art-like, like or something like a random art generator, you know. Oh, like yeah. you could tell it rather than you know put it in in a in in order of age or what they're doing. It's just sort of like maybe put some randomized <laughs> order or by to color it. or something. Yeah, yeah. Or something. make a mm-hmm. like a portrait. With yeah. 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 So I think it'd be quite interesting to to see what you could do with this machine. Um, so yeah, I mean, okay, slightly useless, but I think it's still cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's interesting as Popular a as science. a uh, uh, as a seed for something in the future. Yeah, I think that's cool. Well, and yeah. it's a combination of a lot of technologies, which is is cool in itself, you know. Yeah, and that's typically how these things work. You know, uh, people take technologies from different places, they put it together, and maybe it is useful, maybe it's not useful. And eventually, somebody finds a way to make that next leap. They're all stepping stones, uh, yeah. pun, pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, very cool, very cool machine, if, if useless. Very yeah. cool. Cool. 
All right, let's go to our next story, which this is one I had seen as well, the transparent wood. And this is very cool. Yeah, super interesting. Yeah, yeah. And you know, there's an article about a, uh, some some scientists of the University of Maryland have figured a way of, I don't want to necessarily call it bleaching wood, but that's sort of the... That's sort of the idea, right? They're yeah. taking a piece of wood and they're making it transparent. Yeah. What I like about this is this is uh, an, a technological innovation in, in our backyard. You know, this is yeah. right here. It's local to us. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, Not halfway around the world. Yeah. It's University yeah. of Maryland College Park. That's my alma mater. Yeah. <laughs> I was so proud. I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, I think bleaching is the probably the correct term to use. Yeah. Uh, but it's stripping the lignans out of the wood, that which is mm-hmm. what gives it the color. And I think these are what what you would uh, looking from from the images. Uh, these are ingrained slices, and I right. think that's probably the key to making this work. If you were talking about side grain, you probably wouldn't be able to make it function this way. Mm-hmm. So they've taken ingrained slices and uh, bleached it with, uh, and these are compounds that are used in bleaching of, of other like. Uh, uh, textiles and things of that of that nature. So sodium hydroxide and sodium peroxide uh, to strip the lignin from the wood. And then the remaining matrix of cells is infused with uh, an epoxy resin and uh, makes it extremely strong. And I would not call it transparent, but I would call it translucent uh, or mm-hmm. not maybe fully opaque. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, I would translucent would be the best way to describe it. Yeah, um, it, it's interesting because in the, in the photo in the article, the, at the very top of the article, it looks very transparent in that photo almost. Uh-huh. Um, you could, I mean, yeah, it, it's slightly obscured. It's not fully transparent. Um, in other photos I had seen of it live through Facebook, it didn't look this quite this transparent even, but it's, uh, it's pretty impressive. I, yeah, I think there might be some lighting uh, at play there to make right. it look so transparent. Uh, but yeah, I think it uh, obviously it's a, it's in its infancy now. But you know, making glass is actually quite um, ecologically expensive. There's a lot mm-hmm. of energy required to make glass, and we currently get that energy from fossil fuels. And so, glass has a a, a very large carbon footprint. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, wood is a renewable resource, and you can grow mm-hmm. it e- uh, ecologically and sustainably. And to use one material for both the opaque walls and transparent uh, areas, mm-hmm. it's quite interesting. Now, what they don't cover in the in the article is if that uh, clear, I'm going to call it clear wood, uh, mm-hmm. is has any insulating val- any insulating properties. I mm-hmm. think right now it's, it's too early. They haven't been they haven't explored mm-hmm. the material to its full extent. However, I think that we're going to see some interesting development in this in this particular uh, technological field. Yeah, no, I think it's very cool. It's a, it'd be interesting to see how it holds up to the elements because um, you know oh, yeah. wood needs to be treated quite a bit to hold up to the elements. So I think I mean, the this resin is very treated as well, though. So it probably exactly. I think the resin yeah. infusion really is going to yeah. make it um, hold up in the in the environment. Mm-hmm. But here's the other interesting thing is on the other side of that coin, once it's past its useful life, is it recyclable? Can you biodegrade it? Well, I mean, what happens to it next? Uh, right. right now, you know, when we think of materials, uh, now more than ever, we're thinking about it's, it's the whole life cycle, the, you know, the cradle mm-hmm. to grave kind of cycle yeah. that materials have. And uh, I think it's really too early to tell right now. They're just, mm-hmm. they're just trying to figure it up. 
Yeah, and they're and they're doing it with very small pieces at this time. How this would scale up to larger pieces would be interesting exactly. to see as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, very cool. Yeah, it's very. It's really. I like the fact that it's giving another option other than glass and steel. Mm-hmm. Yes, that, that's that's really or interesting. Plastics, because, or, or, or plastics, exactly, yeah. because you know, like, and and it it shows you know it says like for urban architecture uses, because that's you know trends that we are seeing right now is just mm-hmm. everything that are you know just basically glass facades, mm-hmm. um, and then also the solar part about the article was kind of interesting too that if you it can be it could potentially be used with solar cells, mm-hmm. and then that way it. It uh, increases the efficiency of the solar cells, mm-hmm. which is really good because then that that's that that's another benefit of using this mm-hmm. over it, something else, and it's fairly strong as well. So yeah, yeah. very cool. I very will cool. say that I mean I will say that jumping right to the architecture part of it is it's a strong jump because I would think again because it's almost like plastic. Why wouldn't you start using it as sort of uh, the plastics that we use for wrapping things? You know. Uh-huh, than, yeah. you know why not make a case of plastic or instead of a, a plastic case to put your trophies in make it out of clear wood or whatever um, yeah well i'll tell you your toys could come in this rather than, than plastic yeah. so uh, but i'll tell you a little bit about uh university of maryland college park the engineering school um it was funded and it was fu- founded mm-hmm. not funded but founded by um Clark, Mr. Clark, mm-hmm. and he is Clark Construction right. here in the local region, mm-hmm. uh, in the region. So they're very tied with construction materials, mm-hmm. architecture. Uh, so a lot of their their research come is directly tied into the construction mm-hmm. uh, world. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting that they mm-hmm. they can they, they go through it. So that's probably one of the reasons that's why. Right, that's one of the, let me ask you this: right. When you make your bowls, yes, are you you which way is the grain facing as you're trying to make the bowl? Uh, well, there's there's two ways to do it. Um, generally, end grain bowl work is mm-hmm. is quite difficult. It is not a beginner mm-hmm. uh, type of mm-hmm. thing, and the reason is that uh, the grain is quite difficult to cut in that orientation. So uh, and it grabs the tools and you have to really mm-hmm. pay attention to your presentation of the tool and the cutting edges. So it's a complicated issue. Uh, so uh, there are reasons why you'd want to do an end grain bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most of the time for I would say 90% of the people making wooden bowls, you use them in a side grain orientation. Mm-hmm. And um, it cuts very nicely. It's very forgiving. Um, and it also does not grab on you. It's, it's less dangerous, uh, really mm-hmm. the best way to describe it. Um, I'm not sure if you saw um, a, a kind of a big bowl I did that was like 26 inches in diameter. And mm-hmm. uh, I might send you a link to it, but that was an in-grain bowl. And uh, you can, in the videos, you can kind of see that you really, the approach, the tool approach, the angles are completely different because of the way you have to sever the fibers. So um, it also is more prone to cracking, but uh, if it can remain uh, rounder, so, uh, whereas side grain, side grain orientation has a tendency to get oval as it dries out, it gets more oval. All right, so, so I'm going to put, put it a, out there. I'm going to put it out there for the University of Maryland. If they can get us a piece of this clear wood. Oh, to test? Ray will make a, <laughs> the first clear wood bowl. Absolutely. I'll wood. take a piece of that to make something out of I think mm. that I think that would be a really cool thing to see. You know what? You look at it and be like, oh, that's a nice glass bowl. Like, no, that's a clear wood bowl. That is quite interesting. 
Well, you know, Claudia, since that's your alma mater, maybe you want to yeah, see. Yeah, I'm going to make it happen. Let's because see I'm sure that's a very expensive piece of wood <laughs> <laughs> that they may not yeah. part with easily. But if they need somebody to test it, I will be more than happy yeah. to test. Huh. We would gladly have Ray sort of display how this wood can be used by making a clear bowl out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, think. it opens up the possibilities of other of other um, yeah. potential uses. And this could be a cereal ball, right? It could be that small of a bowl. It could be that small of a bowl. It doesn't have to be like a huge serving bowl. Yeah, we, we could we could start small. Cool. Maybe a shot glass type well, bowl. Even plates. You can have plates yeah. out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, all right, cool. So, University of Maryland, if you're listening, which I'm pretty sure you're not, <laughs> send us a piece of this wood so that Ray can make a bowl. Yeah. Well, let's see. I'm, I'm going to try. I'm going to work my magic. Let's see if I can help. <laughs> Contact. See what you can find. Right, listeners, it. don't hold your breath. All right. <laughs> let's move on to the main topic this week. So we're going to talk about the main topic now. Um, and this main topic is... Um, a play on the Guardians, the story of cities. So, Claudia, why don't you introduce this topic for us? Sure. Um, so, the Guardian uh, decided to do a fifty-part uh, series, which is basically a reviewing fifty cities one at a time, um, and it's it's very straightforward. Just you know, picks the specific cities and it tells a story about them uh, from an urban perspective, from an urban planning perspective. So. Um, what I find interesting is, is almost like the, the top 50 chart, you know, like mm -hmm. of music type of thing. Like, yeah, people like love the lists. Yeah. People like the best of. Yeah. yeah. So they're not necessarily, you know, like the top one or mm -hmm. two or three or four, but you know, it's, it's always, it's almost like, did, did my city make the, the 50, mm -hmm. right? It's that idea or mm -hmm. what makes these, the, 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 the worthy of making the guardians 50 now they're not necessarily in order though right they're not, not. Like, okay yeah. yeah so um the the the, the one i picked which is number 37 um and let's just sort of say to everybody mm -hmm. so what we're going to do is we each are going to pick a city and yeah. we're going to talk about it it's usually a city that we've had some connection to mm -hmm. it doesn't have to though it may just be a city we're interested in but we're we're each picking one out of the 50 mm -hmm. and we've that's what we've done here yeah and, and maybe later on, like throughout the another in the in future episodes, we'll pick maybe other ones too. Yeah, because like yeah, I was really interested in even one in my own country, which I thought was was there, and I was I was like, ooh, I was we blown to away. That. I was blown away. I was like, wow. Now, when you say your own country, you mean where you were born? Yes, I'm <laughs> Bolivia. Sorry, country of origin. <laughs> my country of origin. Yes. Yeah. Um. So okay. So the one I picked uh, is uh, number thirty-seven, which is Curitiba, mm -hmm. in Brazil. It's in the southern um, part of Brazil, um, and it, the reason why I picked this particular um, city is because it is coined as the greenest uh, city in the world, basically, mm. and uh, it's continuously been uh, marketed that way, and the whole article, you know, it, it goes to as specific reasons why uh, the city has earned that particular name and that recognition, and it pinpoints the exact person with the exact mayor, um, mm -hmm. Mayor Lerner, uh, and how he's an urban planner. He's, he was the mayor three times. Throughout the article, it discusses um, 
how he was able to uh, basically change the entire city plan plan ahead and be able to recognize the importance of sustainability um, and uh, conservation, green conservation, and also transportation, so include transit, all of this in the late 1960s. Oh, um, right. So ago. that's the really interesting part. And what was really interesting to me is that I've always wanted, because I've always read every book as an urban planner I've, that I've read is like, oh, yes, this is the mecca of sustainability. This is the place you want to go. And, you know, why not? Some, some South America and Brazil. So we went over there mm-hmm. about two years ago and actually went for a um, international sustainability conference there and participated um, and actually gave a, uh, one of the a session um, presented a project that I did, but it was really good, like being there and seeing everything. Um, but prior to that, one of the things that I did was I read a lot about Curitiba and what I read and I read the, the critiques of it as well. And what came up out of that reading and out of that research is that most of the reasons why it's so successful while Yes, you know, in the 1960s to be able to plan ahead and urban planners to be able to to do that in as as leaders, as political leaders to be able to to plan ahead and do this. Um, the issue is that they were able to do it from a marketing perspective. So while, mm-hmm. yes, they did provide it and they there was no community participation whatsoever. Um, this was a uh, this was during the military regime in Brazil. So most of these positions were appointed. They weren't even elected mayors. That that he the mayor wasn't necessarily elected. He was only elected once out of his three terms. Uh, and the the department wasn't a, an actual planning department. It's actually an institute. So it's a nonprofit organization that mm. basically planned the entire city, which is really interesting. Um, but what was interesting, what's more interesting is the fact that he marketed as we are going to be the greenest city and therefore we are going to be coined that way and that's how everybody's going to perceive it. So every other word that came out of his mouth was, this is our vision, this is our, um, this is what we're aiming for and this is what the city will be and this is what the residents will need to say. So and he, that's what they did. He kind of set a goal for the city and then got everybody to buy it and this is what we want to be so you got to do this to be exactly. this. Huh. So it was, it was, it's the and best market. It seems like he take. also didn't give anybody much of a choice. Yes. And, and <laughs> you know, the successes also, uh, whenever, because, you know, you have to monitor all the successes, right? right? So when you start scrutinizing the su- successes, you start asking for numbers, those numbers are not there. <laughs> you will not see those numbers. They're actually for all other um, uh, issues with uh, trash, for example. They're probably fifth or, or, or fifth or seventh in the nation in trying to figure out their um, waste management hmm. for a green city that that should have been top. Yeah. And they were not. The hmm. other thing is that it's a very small radius of a city. So hmm. he was able to do it in, in a very small scale, right. which is easy to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he had control over that. It, it also wasn't the highest density city, if I remember, right? It was... Yeah, because he basically put most of the people outside of the out of out of the main um, radius. You know, the largest population were right outside the city the city limits because he wanted to make sure that you know this was going to be the 
sustainable city. Mm -hmm. So therefore, those numbers are going to affect us, the higher population, specifically lower income people. Interesting. Now, yeah, now while I can understand your criticism, did he also, uh, through some of his policies and and works, actually uh, make some real improvements? Yes. So uh, from urban planning, from an urban planning perspective, what he really worked hard on was the transit system and developing transit oriented development in the 19 late 1960s. So transit oriented development is basically you have hubs of transportation and then that's where you have your highest density. And from those hubs, those transit areas, slowly you lower, you reduce the density down. So you have the high, um, the high uh, the tall um, high rises mm-hmm. and then slowly go down into into single family homes and then mm-hmm. that way you start put, having more green areas and protecting the green areas around and that mm-hmm. is one true thing about uh, Curitiba it is definitely all of the, the, the ring of parks mm-hmm. throughout the city is really well connected and they're mm-hmm. very well conserved so he, I mean, to be able to do that in the 1960s is, is amazing because, you know, many cities in the United States are just starting to develop TOD, transit-oriented development now. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's been maintained, right? Yeah. I remember at one point we went to one of the one of the buildings that had a 360 sort of observation view, mm-hmm. and you really saw how green the city was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he started, this, this is the first place of BRT, Buzz Rapid Transit Systems, that's mm-hmm. the other thing. The city couldn't afford to do metro, do, couldn't do high, mm-hmm. you know, so they ended up doing a bus, a bus transit system right. that which, is less expensive. Right. Would you explain that to people who may not know what that means? So it's a dedicated lane for buses. So instead of having a metro system, which is really heavy rail and really mm-hmm. you, you need a lot of um, money investment, um, high investment for it, for a city to include, to start planning and specifically that far ahead, um, you can actually have a bus transit system fairly, you know, within, within five years, within even three years, you can mm-hmm. establish that. And it's a dedicated lane within a, within, within a major road. And it almost functions like a metro, right? There's like stations where it stops and you have to get to that station. Get in. So that's the way that he, he designed it. I mean, that not specifically him, but you know, this, this Institute designed it as mm-hmm. so that they actually have uh, connectors and it was very for the 1960s it was very modern looking and now I mean they had for instance when we were there there, there was a there was a um a um a strike that's right yeah and it strike. was really it was really it was heartfelt mm-hmm. because it's so dear to people they feel like this is why you know this is our pride and joy mm-hmm. and for it to have there to be a strike of this transit system it really <laughs> messes everything up in the in yeah. the city but it was yeah well, and I like the idea of the uh, of the transit system being bus based because, uh, as you mentioned, it's an inexpensive way to do it, especially compared with with light rail and maintenance. The maintenance is a whole lot simpler and easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, from a from a dollar point of view and from the being able to initiate the whole process a lot faster to do than to uh, do a light rail system. And when you have tunnels, guess what? You have other things to worry about. Uh, when you're underground, uh, tearing up the roads. I mean, it's just so economical from the point of view of being able to build it and to start using it as quick as possible. Exactly. So, yeah. So, those, I mean, those are the great things about Curitiba. And, and, and it's easy to to move around, too. Mm-hmm. Very equitable. So, yeah. So, what about you guys? Um, 
Well, it's well, interesting because the one that you picked is sort of like this marketing campaign that was sort of forced on people. Um, I picked Medellin, and it's funny because I've, I've had a lot of a love-hate relationship with Medellin. Right? Medellin was number 42, if I remember correctly. I don't have it pulled up now. Um, yeah, it's 42. Yeah, it's 42. Mm-hmm. Um, and you should, everybody should check it out. The The interesting thing is, like, I remember when we were, when you actually first heard of Medellin, it's because you were telling me you wanted to go to Medellin. Oh, right? Claudia was telling me this. And I was just like, um, no, I sort of heard that that's the most dangerous <laughs> city in the world. <laughs> And you were like, yeah, yeah, no, it is, but it's changing. And I was like, probably not changing enough, right? <laughs> and this article touches on that. And like, for how many years Medellin was the most dangerous? At one, like, from ninety to ninety-two or something, they had like six six thousand murders. Mm-hmm. And they weren't just like you know people being murdered at homes. Like the drive-by it was random people I mean, mm-hmm. just getting mowed down. Um, so I always had this sort of pushback, like, nope, not going to Medellin. <laughs> Pick another <laughs> city. We went to Curitiba. Um, so finally, a friend of mine was like, oh, I'm going to go to to Medellin. You guys should come with me. Uh, and, and, you know, one thing led to another. We had uh, one of our pets passed away, whatever. So it ended up being just my friend and I that went to Medellin. Um, it was sort of like a guy's trip. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we went to Medellin and a couple of cities in Colombia. But uh, so that's why I chose this. And it was interesting to read through the article um, how they they talk about you know, Medellin being the most dangerous city in the world. And, you know, it was all because Pablo Escobar was a big part of it and his cartels. And the key part of it is how Pablo Escobar wasn't just sort of, he was one of the people that brought it to the brink of disaster and made it one of the most dangerous cities. But then he was also the guy that sort of turned around and said, no, we need to change. Um, and it talks about, he like, uh, I didn't know this Escobar at one point was elected to Colombia's House of Representatives. Yeah, I didn't know that either. I yeah. had no clue that that had happened. That's that's amazing. Like a drug cartel guy <laughs> being elected, and he got kicked out because of his connections to, to um to the drug trafficking and everything. But uh, but he also started a Medellin without slums program, right? Mm-hmm. And his whole point was, you know, the city is divided. We have the rich people. We have the poor people. And he sort of started a civil war between these people, saying, no, we need to, like, take back the city, and we need to be more united. Um, And he eventually got, you know, gunned down himself and murdered. But that idea sort of lasted in the city. And and it was funny, because when we were going there, when my friend and I were going there, and I was doing research as to places I wanted to see, I constantly was looking at, wow, look at this cool library they have, look at this cool park they have. And I was putting, yeah, Yeah. modern, completely modern. I was putting these things on my list. When I travel, I make this list of places I want to go check out as an architect, take pictures, whatever. And uh, so I kept picking these sort of libraries and and museums. And and it was interesting because then this article talks about how that's the way the city started changing, right? They decided to make public spaces accessible to everybody. And, and they were picking locations throughout the city, and then they would pick people that could be sort of the ambassador of that area. It was very much social driven. It was like, okay, you're going to be the voice of everybody in this area. Tell us what they want. And in a lot of cases, it had to be the bad people. It had to be the drug dealers the, <laughs> that had yeah. been running that area. But they were able to get information from them. They included the people in this process. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, a lot of the the libraries in the, you know just amazing that's a lot of the places i went to while i was there um, so it's an example of sort of it's a difference from what you were saying to a completely social way of changing the city mm-hmm. and it succeeded for them you know they have a metro that connected 
they, they plan their metro to connect all the neighborhoods together. They, they have cable cars that go up through the mountains and through a lot of the slums, and people are not, not afraid to get out on the slums. But when it first opened, there was still this fear. You know, and like I said, the fear has lasted for me up to, I went to Medellin two years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like oh, okay, I'm going to go because my friend wants to go. But yeah, it's completely different city and a lot of modern buildings. Um, now, let me ask you, how did you feel when you were on the streets? Did it feel like it was uh, dangerous or? Did no, it not, you know what? Not at all. Like, and, and a lot of people walking the streets. The place that we stayed at was probably like a 10 minute walk to the nearest metro. And we had to ride that metro all the time. And we would get on the metro, we would make that walk. A lot of restaurants, everybody out on the streets. I think it was when the World Cup was going on and we went out to a bar even to watch some of the games. And it was just not dangerous at all. At, at least I didn't feel it that way. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of plazas, they, they were having concerts. It was it was a complete contrast from what I always imagined in my head about it. Yeah, well, it's also, it has to do with the, with the culture of that area of Medellin, because it's the northern part of of me of colombia and it's the paisa region i guess and mm-hmm. paisas are known to be very um just happy people like very very friendly mm-hmm. they're like they're the way that they talk they're very social mm-hmm. and in comparison to um the southern part of colombia or like the the, the bogota part which is like the, the capital city mm-hmm. And, you know, like, there's always comparisons between cities, right? I mean, Medellin is kind of like a secondary city. Yeah, it is a secondary city of Colombia. Yeah, yeah and, and it's actually funny how the modernization has sort of expanded throughout. Like, we stayed at an Airbnb in Colombia, in Medellin, and it was a very modern building. Mm-hmm. And it was just a condo building that people were renting the apartment for. But I was shocked at how modern the building was. Um, mm. They also have instituted a lot of things like... You know, you, depending on the license plate number, you can or cannot park in the center of the city. So they're trying to keep people, they're trying to sort of forcing people to use the metro. And it's very used. That's the other thing. The metro was very, very used. There were a lot of people there at all times. And then they had malls that rival any mall you'd see here in the United States. I, I had forgotten my uh, charger for my battery, so I had to go buy one at the at one of the malls there. And yeah, like I got it no problem, you know. Yeah, I never Very told nice. you that. That's why I have two charges for my camera now. <laughs> <You just laughs> now let me ask just, you. Yeah. What do you feel about, uh, for example, uh, the the violent past of the city being both its uh, de- initial demise and being the agent that kind of stimulated this resurrection? And it's interesting because in many ways, it, to me, I've done a lot of work in historic restoration, um, something I talked about in one of the stories earlier. Um, it, you know, for a lot of the work that I did in historic restoration or, or it, like the buildings had a similar decline, you know, like the use changed and the way that was being used changed and I almost had to sort of hit rock bottom in order to come back in a better way. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's sort of the story of the city, you know, it sort of had to degrade and hit rock bottom and be driven down by the same people that decided we've done this to it. We got to bring it back up. So I think it's, you know, it's sort of like a, I don't know, it's not an underdog story, but it's sort of a, 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 redeems, a, a redeemable story, you know, like a, we redeemed ourselves. Resilience. Yeah. yeah. 
I think is resilience to me. Like you know, like it, it shows the resilience of a of, of a city and of its people. Yeah. I mean, I watch a lot of sci-fi movies. I compare a little bit to like if you watch Star Wars, the the the, the Darth Vader story, right? He's this horrible person that kills and and the whole thing, <laughs> and then comes back at the end to sort of say, no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do this anymore. Hmm. It's sort of that that story of being redeemed, of being yeah, of rising back up. Sounds like a like a part of the natural cycle of things. Right, I think to a degree it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's also the youth too. I'm sure the youth are part of. This I'm sure there's a generational issue as well. Yeah, exactly. exactly. A component in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, what, about you, Ray? what about yours, Ray? Which which city did you pick? Uh, I picked actually. It turned out to be the last one, number fifty, mm-hmm. and it's uh it's a story in Seoul, uh, Korea, and uh, you know as you know I I was in the army and I spent uh. Uh, almost a year and a half in in Korea. And so I had the opportunity to go to Seoul many times. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's funny because uh, this is a, it's a, a highway that was demolished that used to be a river that was redeveloped back into a river again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember it as a, as a highway. I've had the opportunity to drive there a couple of times uh, when I was when I was stationed there. Uh, and it was a massive highway. It was, mm-hmm. you know, running right through Seoul. Uh, I will not attempt to pronounce <laughs> the city because uh, it is difficult to pronounce. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, it, it was interesting uh, because uh, it, for me, it's it's a bit of a success and a bit of a failure and a bit of anything you do to it is better than what was there. Um, because, uh, you know, during the, the big, uh, redevelopment boom and uh, that a lot of places experienced in the, in the, you know, fifties and sixties. And, uh, as you know, like the LA river, uh, very little consideration was given to any natural, uh, uh existing, um, uh, feature. Hmm. So the, their first plan was, well, here, we got a big open space that a stream runs in, let's pave it over and make a highway. <laughs> and which... <laughs> It, you know, when you think about it now, nobody would even entertain the idea today. Right. Um, similar to, you know, uh, uh, the Kaufman House. Nobody would, would let you do that today. Right. Uh, but what's interesting is that regardless of if uh, this is maybe not as natural or as uh, restorative as a natural stream would have been, it is a far cry better than what would have uh, existed there if it had been left uh, with the, the the highway, so hmm. a, an expensive project, and as in a lot of these uh, projects in a lot of places, and, and unfortunately the U.S. is is not immune to it either. There was corruption that was hmm. that followed in there as well. Um, so uh, I thought it was an interesting story uh, because since they paved over the river, the, the stream that was there, they kind of uh, accidentally rerouted the water, so it was no longer surface water. So to reactivate the stream, what they did is uh, what a lot of cities have to do that have uh, subways. And we kind of touched on that uh, with uh, that town in Brazil, Mm -hmm. that when you build a when you put a hole in the ground, some of the things you're going to have to uh, deal with is groundwater. And Mm -hmm. uh, as you know, in New York, the subway system, they they pump millions of gallons of water Mm -hmm. a day. Right. So this uh, city here in Seoul is no different, and they pump this groundwater, and that is the source of this stream. So it is hmm. not a natural stream any longer. 
It is kind of a man-made stream and a product of, of a lot of uh, infrastructure developments. Uh, mm -hmm. But it kind of reactivates as a stream. And now it's been in place for a, for a little over 10 years and vegetation has grown and uh, everybody in the city, uh, and there was opposition, like you can imagine, any project you have, there's always opposition. Uh, but the inhabitants of the city have now uh, embraced it as part of their of their uh, city psyche, I guess you could call it. And and they've taken a very uh, an ownership of it and uh, families share it and people picnic there and... <laughs> Uh, it's it's become this activated zone almost as if it were a uh, you know a natural stream. Now uh, Seoul has a river that runs through it, and uh, that is probably one of the filthiest rivers I've ever seen. <laughs> oh wow! Uh, my goodness, it is a, a terribly filthy river. So uh, no one ever bathed in it, and uh, on rare occasions I saw people fishing, and I never saw them catch a fish. Uh, so. As an alternative, if your if your choice is a filthy river that is probably unsafe to bathe in, or this artificial river that has clean groundwater that's pumped from the subway right through the heart of the city, almost in a Central Park fashion, um, I think it's I, I personally would call it a success yeah. on that regard. Um, is it restoring the native environment that used to run through there? Absolutely not, but it's a, a bit of a compromise, and in that regard, I find it successful. Yeah, and it's quite beautiful. I mean, this photo of it. It's, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's very, it's With very children green. playing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, I think they had a photograph of the highway before, and mm -hmm. uh, it was a, you know, I, whenever I visit you guys, I always complain the traffic is so bad where you guys live. That traffic was really awful. I mean, just terrible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And one of the, well, the one of the nice things, and I was there back in 90, I want to say 96, 97, 98, somewhere in that time frame. Uh, the interesting thing that struck me about Seoul that Seoul was doing back then is all these high-rise buildings that they had in downtown, you were not allowed to build to the corner. You were not allowed to build a corner on your building. Um, so what they did in, in a lot of these downtown areas is they either truncated the corner of the building or they held the building back. And they did this on all four corners and it created this green space kind of ringing around hmm. the intersections. Uh, there are no photographs of that, but that was, uh, you know, my experience there. And, I, and it, hmm. the only place I ever saw it and it struck me as a, what a beautiful uh, alternative on the ground plane for the pedestrians. Hmm. Meanwhile, the buildings are rising a hundred stories above. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, and, there's no picture of that, but you see it in one of the buildings of the picture of the stream. You're going to see where the angle is being cut out of the mm -hmm. Oh yeah, space, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was a very nice experience that I had when I was there and it really you know le allowed the corner at least to belong to the people. Yeah, it's softening the building sort of to the ground too. It's it's interesting. Yeah. 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 It's creating more facade even uh, mm -hmm. I think to the degree. It also reminds me of like a modern modern day version of the Seine in, in Paris. Mm. Because I'm not it, familiar with that. Well, cuz you can go down. I mean, I have like some memories of when I was like doing my summer abroad in Paris and yeah like you could go down to the river edge and just hang out with your friends or with family at, at you know at night or in the morning and just walk around but because it's it's such a historic um river because it's not it's it's dirty yeah. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. very dirty mm -hmm. um so but the whole you know the whole st structure all around the area is, is it's all historic 
it it's also not well maintained sometimes it's dark um so it's it ha- it's quaint in, in its historic nature mm-hmm. of it but what this looks like is it's because it's been you know it's been made mm-hmm. you know it's it's intentional yeah. right so you mm-hmm. have all the lighting and you know, all the perp all the specific uses and it's pretty cool And I kind of like that terraced effect. So you're Mm -hmm. down below street level. It feels like you're not really in the city. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, does does the article mention like any opposition or any or how how they went about doing this? Oh, yeah. There was quite a bit of opposition and there was some corruption that followed, including Mm -hmm. some uh, some convictions. I mean, uh, it was quite a thing. And then the mayor ended up being a president and he issued a pardon. It was quite a complicated issue and mm-hmm. um it doesn't surprise me uh, honestly mm-hmm. because uh things were uh, were strange when i was there this is this is kind of normal you would you would think um the other thing that kind of struck me is that as beautiful as this is it is really just a fountain i mean a massive fountain that's true so think <laughs> about true. it it yeah. is really just a fountain that's all it is yeah does it mention how deep it is uh it does not mention how deep mm-hmm. it is and i i tried finding information I think it's probably a very shallow um, yeah. little stream, and you got to remember it's 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 pumped groundwater from the subway system, so nice. I don't think it's going to be six feet. I would I would venture to guess it's probably twelve feet. And I think there's some mm-hmm. photographs of children. I'm sorry, twelve inches, not twelve feet, mm-hmm. twelve inches deep, and some uh, of people wading in it. So, uh, I, and it's funny, you know, some water is better than none at all. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no. That's I've really seen cool. fountains where it's like not even an inch of water. So yeah. Yeah. And people are just splashing along it. Yeah. <laughs> and what it tells you is that people are drawn to it. You know, people are drawn to water. It doesn't matter if it's natural or or, mm-hmm. or uh, not, but uh, clean water being the the, the big thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Water features are amazing. Yeah. This is really cool. I'm, I'm glad that they did this. Uh, that they they did the fifty. 50 part series well so it seems that now readers are also submitting their own cities that they would have liked to cover they would mm-hmm. have liked the guardian to cover and you know people can follow um some other you know cities what's interesting to me is also that they're not necessarily like i mentioned earlier these are secondary cities they're not the, the, the capitals or the well-renowned cities throughout the world Mm -hmm. so that's that's also interesting i think the guardian was trying to do that was trying to spotlight why do you guys think it's mostly secondary cities is it because they're trying to spotlight secondary cities or is it because you know like there is no kind of this kind you know like we just saw in seoul is there this kind of success story in new york city let's say Mm -hmm. or in chicago like we know the story of chicago is the city burned down at one point and that's why they rebuilt Now I will I would like to intervene here. Seoul is actually a massive city, and it I think is, yeah. it, it is huge. It's a, uh, it might be one of the exceptions to the rule, but it, it happens yeah. to be an, an incredibly enormous city. Um, I think it's uh, got a population of twenty five million or something like that. It's, I mean, it's a lot of people. Yeah, right. No, and that's interesting because you you're right. It is Seoul is a large city, but they've they. I mean, I keep saying. What is this? <laughs> you weren't trying to pronounce it. Chin, yeah, Chong, <laughs> Chong maybe. Yeah, the stream. Yeah, that's right. The stream. Yeah. That's the name of the stream, S-N-S. which is, but it's sort of that section of the city, right? Yeah, yeah. like maybe yeah. you would say neighborhood or right. yeah. or something. Which in scale, that's pretty. That's probably huge. Too. Right. Well, I do. I wonder how big yeah. this section of Once you look Seoul at, is. And, yeah, and then you consider density as well yeah. in that sense. But one of the one of the reasons why I mean, urbanization has been, and you know, cities specifically like um the guardian city lab 
all of these other um, newspapers and online magazines are really focused on urbanization as a whole and its impact on the future. Mm-hmm. So it's the impact of urbanization is not just specifically on cities like Seoul or New York City or the Chicago's or the large, mm-hmm. you know, the Paris, Rio and all those other ones. Um, but it's trickling down to the other cities as well. Mm-hmm. And also um, the sustainability um, element of the that that is trickling down as well for cities. Mm-hmm. So that that's an interesting thing. And also how money trickles down and how um, the the dynamics of power and you know the, what we've been t- discussing those you know like the the corruption that can happen through the whole process and also what the role of designers and architects and urban planners play mm-hmm. um, both in secondary tertiary cities as well because we're seeing that more and more. Well, you know what's interesting to me is uh, when I when I think about these three cities and these are you know different parts of the world mm-hmm. um, that uh, that they had these issues that were solved through and some of them were social issues, uh, some of them were economic issues, uh, and and in the it, the case of Seoul, it was an environmental issue. So they had all these issues that uh, were were you know at different ends of the spectrum that were. Uh, resolved whether a hundred percent successful or not, it, you know, it, it, it do some debate there, but they resolve these issues through urban planning and design, and some of them have community input, and some of them completely excluded community input, uh, and to some degree successful, um, and to some degree there's going to always be someone who uh, who uh, who resists, you know, change. Uh, but uh, I'm wondering if the, these were all uh, the best possible solutions or maybe they were all in, in some way or another compromises that kind of everyone kind of agreed is, it's better than what they started with. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to think that it's it's prescriptions that, you know, it's like it, it could work for a large prescriptive, city. Prescriptive, I like that. Yeah, it's, it's prescriptive. Mm-hmm. It could easily work in a large city or it could work in, in a small town. Um, it, it's, you, you almost need to, that's, that's the reason why even doing what I do as an urban planner and I've designed a lot of new cities in, in China mm-hmm. and they're there like right now that, you know, parts of cities like in as far as, as far as, um, competitions and everything else. And those are blanket cities. You can do that or you could, you know, redesign a, 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 an old city that has, you know, history from 100 200 years ago it's the same discussion it's the same tools it's the same the same uh, problems so mm-hmm. it is prescriptive and whether it's large you know large density or a small town 100 people hmm. you know what you bring up that. a good point because my the town i live in is quite small i think it's 8500 people and they are uh, throwing around a uh, a river redevelopment plan yeah. And, you know, we have a little river. It actually starts in the town and it heads out uh, to the uh, the Atlantic Ocean. So it's will be interesting to see what happens uh, as part of that redevelopment. And we're, it's a tiny little town. You know, you've been here. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, another one that we're all familiar with is Frederick in Maryland. In Maryland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They had paved over their, their river or their stream. And, and their yeah. canal. Yeah. And then they ended up doing a complete renovation of it. And it's a much nicer place to be at. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
Yeah, that's but it's interesting that a lot of cities did that. It's it, it's weird and and to us now seems kind of unimaginable to to do that to a stream. And uh, you mentioned Maryland. I'm sure you've been to Ellicott City, yeah. where mm-hmm. where some you can't even tell that there's a stream running through that town. Right. Uh, the buildings are built halfway over the stream. You mm-hmm. have to kind of go out of your way to even see it. Yeah, yeah you need yeah. a quiet moment to hear the stream, the, the water, water running. Yeah, yeah. and I love it. those moments. There's times where you can hear the water running, but you can't see it. Yeah, like, where's like, where that? Where's that water coming <laughs> from? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I really—that's a really good example because you know that's the one thing that I, I don't like about um, younger people in the profession that are getting into urban planning that are finding out about cities and urban new urbanists um is that you know it's like they have this infatuation about oh this you know cities are amazing and you know i live in new york city and therefore that makes me this connoisseur of cities and and, you know the future that comes up with everything that's coming you know there's there should be respect also for elegant city for smaller towns because Mm -hmm. the same impact there's nothing different yeah well the difference is the scale Exactly. That's that's the only difference. And, you know, once you take out the scale, the same issues, the same problems, the same solutions apply. Absolutely. But nothing different. I mean, to me, uh, to raise question of like, you know, why would they've done that? These people like paving over these rivers. We we just did three examples of it. And, you know, one was a major city. So um, I think it's all it's the trends that make people do things without thinking long term. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think at some point the trend was, oh, we are able to sort of re-divert this river, let's do it without really thinking that line. Like, why, why, what are we actually doing? You know, similarly yeah. nowadays you see like the, the bike lane has to go everywhere without really necessarily always thinking about, well, does it have to be in this place? Or are we just putting a bike lane because it's the thing everybody wants right now because everybody's riding their bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the part that gets us into these troubles when it comes to planning cities. And you know, it's easy for me to say as an architect, I, I've seen it more in a building sense and, you know, thinking back to one of our earlier topics is I worked at a firm for a long time doing theater restoration, right? And you might well ask me, like, there's enough kind of work for that? And it's because cities for the long term, every city thought they had to have a theater, a major theater, whether they had a population of, you know, millions like in New York City or they had a population of a few thousand like mm-hmm. in Culpeper, Virginia. <laughs> like, what does Culpeper, Virginia need a major performing arts center? They don't. But it was a, it was something that was happening at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, every people make these decisions based on the trend. Mm-hmm. So. Well, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, there's in this little tiny town where I live, they also have a theater. Yeah. And last thing I went to see there, I think, was uh, Sweeney Todd, and they and actually great, uh, great performers. And it's a it's a very small theater. It's not mm-hmm. an original theater. Uh, it's you know it's a newer one. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, it's very nice and and people to go people, uh, right. you know, there was a time where that was all the entertainment you had. There were no movies and you know, there weren't all these other things. And a theater was all the entertainment you you had. And it kind of makes sense that all these towns would have something and right. a theater would make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But one of the things I'd like to touch up on is what Claudia said, talking about China and cities. And it might be a good discussion for a future um, episode of the podcast. Uh, was and and I saw that in um, in the uh, Brazilian town that, that the that Claudia selected, they mentioned Brasilia, uh, mm-hmm. and what's happening in China now and a lot of other places where entire cities are being built from planned and built from scratch yeah. in in nowhere. You know, they're just <laughs> without without a population and and 
historically, uh, cities were organic. They kind of grew and, and evolved and grew some more and evolved some more and changes were made and, and these things went on in a, at, a, at an organic pace. So I think maybe uh, if you guys are interested, we should probably re- revisit the idea of a, an instant city uh, that would being be planned really from cool. scratch. Yeah. yeah, and and I think there's a lot of samples we could go to, like to from Dubai oh, yeah. all the way to the what is the the name of the city in China that's empty. <laughs> yeah, completely yeah. beautiful empty city. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's something we could talk that's about. That's I really like that. Put that down for uh, a future episode. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Cool. cool. Well, good, right. good, good, good. So I think we should. I think it's a good as, as place as any to move on to our next segment of the show, which is of course the product of the week. You know, we've had a lot of products of the week, which again, before we get into it, let's talk about, we're not associated with anybody making this product. We, nobody's giving us any money to talk about it or any of those things. Not to say we wouldn't take it, mm-hmm. <laughs> but th- that is not currently the case. Yeah. And if and you, you did send us a product, we'd be objective about its review. Exactly. Yes. Absolutely. Um, so this week, the, you know, um, a lot of the products we've done are very useful things, are very, um practical and things that are, are cool still but are very sort of they have a very very good use to them this week the use is a bit silly There's, it's still sort of a cool product i think mm-hmm. um so this is a follow-up to architects federico Bad- badina he a few i think it's like a few years ago from this i don't remember seeing it he had done these postcards that were sort of the, al- the architecture alphabet and it went from a to c and it showed different things i wasn't sort of i wasn't really struck by that but this I'm a little, I, I found a little more playful, a little more fun, which is the architectural playing cards, um, which have, you know, a lot of architects, like, you know, one of the kings is, um, uh, I'm trying to find it here. Frank Lloyd Wright? You have Oscar Niemeyer, you yeah, Frank have Frank Lloyd Wright, you have Le Corbu. Le Corbu, I think it's, a, it's, a, yeah, it's also a king. Um, Louis Kahn. Louis Kahn. Sahadid is one of the queens. So this is a very cool. Like I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get myself a set of these playing cards, mostly for the, <laughs> the novelty of it all. Um, what did you guys think of it? Well, I thought it was kind of interesting, and and in particular, it uh, it was like an exercise in graphic design, mm-hmm. and very reminiscent of what you would uh, see in the '60s, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, a beautiful and and. What's interesting with the the playing cards is, you know, we all played with cards. And as a kid, before I ever played any games, I used to do card houses. In fact, that's, I would say 99% of what I did with cards was was card uh, card houses of all different sizes and shapes. So really what was on the card was kind of irrelevant. Uh, and this is, this is, I think it's beautiful. I think it taps into that aesthetic quality of the 60s. And it kind of... Uh, have you, are you, did you guys ever watch Mad Men at all? Yeah, I, I watched a couple of episodes. Yeah. I wasn't yeah. big on it. Uh, but well, there's a lot of scenes from it that I liked, yeah. Yeah, but the, the graphic things. Um, the colors. Exactly, the color choices, mm-hmm. the uh, the sharpness of the lines, the big spaces of color kind of all reminds me of that. And I think it's it's mm-hmm. quite beautiful in that regard. Yeah, I almost like picture myself sitting around with my friends, with a group of architectural friends like you guys, and mm-hmm. you know, with a cigarette in my hand and you know, <laughs> beer, or like maybe like some type of really fancy drink, and playing with these cards. Yeah, they're they're really cool. 
Um, I like the fact that it's it's functional, mm-hmm. right? Because it's um, so we do. Jose and I have like friends you know, that we we go and do game night, and um, it's a fun thing that you can take your own cards, right? And you right. can um, and they can it, be conversation be, pieces yeah, on their own. Exactly, and mm-hmm. they're, they're part of what you're showing. You know, it's it's us. We're architects, so therefore mm-hmm. we take our architecture cards, and those are really cool. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. The other thing is, is if you're a student and you're in college, right, and you want to again do the same thing overnight, mm-hmm. but what's really cool is that um, some of the cards have the plans in them as well. Like the Mies van der Rohe actually has. Uh, you know some some of the plans of one of the one of his homes the same thing with the corbu so or the alvara yeah the alto card so that's kind of cool because you can almost like test yourself in a way well i think that's what i liked about it is one is the retro look like like you talked about ray because these cards almost look like they could be something that you got back in the 50s or 60s yes but it's also the part that they do a good job of like you're saying claudia if putting sort of something that's specific to that architect mm-hmm. but they still tie together somehow right mm-hmm. like cause all yeah. of these architects have very different styles mm-hmm. to a certain degree but all of them sort of go well with each other yet you see you know this this one oscar nehemiah's one you see the his architecture sense in it mm-hmm. yeah but and you see elements place. of brazilian there too yeah. yeah but it's not at a place next to um sahadids who mm-hmm. they're completely different architects you know yeah. yeah, and I can see series of this. For instance, mm-hmm. you know, the um, Oscar Niemeyer not only has his buildings, his iconic uh, iconic buildings, but also some of his um, monuments, which is kind of mm-hmm. cool, yeah. right? So there's also the the artistic part of it. I mean, I could I could almost see some uh, other uh, other series that are more like uh, artistic, even in nature. So mm-hmm. like interior designers, for example. Yeah. You know, or like yeah. The, the, or maybe yeah. even a dedicated series, you know, like the works of Le Corbusier or the works mm-hmm. of yeah. Hadid. Or like, I think you know, Colombian architects. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that would take a little research, I think, for... for yeah, it's still be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let yeah. me ask you this. Do you think that this is gimmicky or do you think this really came from a, from a pure place? Oh, I think it's definitely gimmicky. Um, you know, especially because this particular person has done a previous... Um, run of similarly similar cards you know he, he did the a through c one which i think was less successful um, so it's definitely gimmicky but it's the kind of gimmicky thing i like like i mean there's a lot of things that are gimmicky that <laughs> yeah like you still want to have and i think this is gimmicky in, in a good good way yeah. so I'll, I'll, my my take on it is um so cards against humanity for example yeah. so it's it's a fun game but mm-hmm. great yeah, it's fun, you know. But then you know that you have your your own versions. There's the urban planners' mm-hmm. cards against humanity, and then there's like the inter- international development cards against humanity, and then you know like that becomes gimmicky, because yeah, at that I mean, point it's like okay. But cards against humanity, for example, is a yeah. gimmicky game. It's no, it's apples to apples in a gimmicky way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and these are cards, which is like, right. again, the functional part of it to me is like right. really cool because you can play anything with this. Right. Yeah, like, you don't have to know any of the architects to still play cards. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And now this is gimmicky, like you can go, if you if you go to Las Vegas, you can buy cards to say Las Vegas on them. So those are gimmicky in a sort of very gimmicky way. These yeah. are still gimmicky, but in a, in a sort of very niche gimmicky way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
that's 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 how we define like the Legos of, uh, of buildings that we were talking about. Exactly. Yeah. Cool question, right? Yeah, which <laughs> I was curious, you know, because I kind of, I kind of saw it both ways. I was kind of curious what you guys thought. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. <laughs> cool. 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 All right. Good. All right. So an, another another good product that we all like. Yeah. So um, cool. Let's move on to our next section and what are we working on? What are we reading or what are we seeing? What are we working? On? What are we working on, guys? Uh, I know Ray. You just posted a video of a very cool uh, rocket launcher. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, Claudia thinks about what she's been working on. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, yeah. I put up the video of the rocket launcher. Uh, as you know, I got a, a YouTube channel, mm-hmm. and, um, and and I manufacture a lot of stuff. And some of the stuff we make uh, are machines, and we get contracted to make machines. And sometimes it's just industrial. Uh, this particular uh, job was an existing customer that we have that is a, a model rocket enthusiast. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just your standard little two-foot rocket was simply not enough for him. And he mm-hmm. wanted to launch 20-foot model rockets, the mm-hmm. the biggest model rockets that you can possibly even manufacture and still launch. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, I don't, I don't even know if you can do it legally. Uh, you might need special permission for it, but... He needed a launcher to launch these massive rockets and uh, basically commissioned us to design and uh, and build it. And we we built the whole thing. And I, I don't know if you saw the video of it operating yeah. with hydraulics. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's a 20-footer. Yeah. And so, a bigger boat. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So so the idea was that it's a, it's on a it's on a trailer and it folds up. The whole thing folds yeah. up and you can take it to a, a location. Uh, deploy it and launch your rocket and then uh, fold it back up and, and be on your way. Yeah. No, it's a very cool, the video is very cool. The, the whole idea, I, I, when I was little, I had the small little rockets and it, those were easy to launch and I, I always enjoy those. Yeah. So next time we're up your way, maybe we can check when, when he's going to be launching something we could go watch because that'd be amazing to Actually, to uh, it it's closer to you. It's, oh, uh, really? I can't, huh. I should, probably shouldn't disclose it, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, we shouldn't but... get into exactly where. Because the other question I have is well, how much did he spend on this, but we should talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Boom. I will tell you this. The trailer we purchased, that's an aluminum oh, okay. trailer. Mm-hmm. The trailer alone was $10,000. Yeah, you see, that's Just quite, to buy quite the trailer. an investment. So, it, quite a bit of investment, but he owns a, a, a company that, that does a lot of unmanned aircraft, so it was not a big deal. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. That's very cool. I yeah. like it. His hobby is also tied to what he does as well. So that's yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. yeah. Nice. It is. Yeah, so everybody should check that video. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. What have you got? You think of anything? Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. All right. So because of our move, mm-hmm. I've, I've been putting off some some um, projects that I've been wanting to work on with some friends and colleagues. And uh, next, hopefully this week, I will pick up on some inclusionary zoning um, infographics that I want to do for oh, here cool. in DC for a friend of mine. And shout out to him that I, you know, he's been really patient with me mm-hmm. and he sent me some information uh there's inclusion inclusionary zoning uh data that's been available through a freedom of information act and all this other really cool things that we're working on here and um so yeah so hopefully there'll be a infographic coming up and i think we're going to be talking about zoning in our future yeah, yeah we're going to talk about zoning topics and... so this will be really good because i'm, yeah. I'm really interested in yeah, when when you finish him, if if he doesn't mind, maybe we could share him on the page as well. Yeah, I will definitely put it on social media so I can definitely share it. Cool. All right, very cool. 
Um, as for myself, again, because we just finished moving, we're actually in the new space right now, as I mentioned earlier. Um, it, I've not worked on a lot of stuff, although, Ray, you got to see a lot of the projects that I have waiting to be done. I did, yeah. Um, so, yeah, in the future, I'm going to have a few more projects that I'll be working on, even some of my model kits that I finally managed to dig out of storage and having that bigger place. Um, but what I've been working on is since, I, since I've been to Medellin, and I knew I was going to be talking about Medellin today, I've been working on a blog post with some of my photos from Medellin. Oh, cool. So hopefully that might, it might, they may already be live by the time this comes out. If not, it'll be like in the next day or so, but I'll share on the page as well once it's, once it's up and out. And uh, since you chose Curitiba, we've been there. I may try and do one for Curitiba as well with some of the Oh, that'll be interesting. That'll be cool. While I was there. Oh, yeah. yeah. That'll be cool. That'll be good. Yeah. So cool. cool. Yeah, so that's what we're working on. Let's uh, move on to a rare section or, or the first time we're doing this uh, new our section. Our first of the one. Podcast. It's very exciting. Yeah. It's the first one. Yeah, so let's go to our letters. So this new segment, of course, is our letter segment. You know, we always encourage people to write us. You can write us at our email account, which is madepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can also tweet at us, at either of us, since we have Twitter accounts. Or or you could also um, just, just do a Twitter and do hashtag madepodcast. Or and I'll Facebook. search for it. Yeah, or Facebook, either way. But um, I, I don't know if you guys remember, last week we sort of mentioned uh, the a professor we all had and he was also the director of the school of architecture where we all attended um and he happened to hear the show and he had some very nice things to say i'm gonna skip a few of those things because they're sort of personal to us so say his name, dr. yeah dr magyar dr. peter magyar of course um so he had a he had a very nice things to say about all of us and how much how proud he was of all of us and stuff but i think that the thing that i wanted to read here on the on the podcast andrea i'll forward you the email i know claudia oh yeah that'd yeah. be good um because he had some uh, some opinions about the topic, which was whether analog design is sort of going away and drawing part of architecture going away, right? So he says here, uh, to the topic of the discussion, I could add some thoughts. Um, what I would say is, I was so I was moved to hear your reference to my thought palaces, which is his book, right? He's written a bunch of books since. He's like on his eighteenth book. Uh, yeah, his 18th book. So people should check it out. Dr. Peter Magyar, check out all the books. Um, but what he's basically had to say is, my two cents to your discussion would be that architecture is a nonverbal art. Therefore, your thoughts are notated with drawings. Because... Uh, <laughs> so he, he goes on to mention he has... Uh, he did a class in Italy with 15 students all about drawing. Uh, just trying to sort of go through. and he uses, a, uh, he uses an, an, I, iPad, an iPad which if you if you go to I linked last week to his YouTube page you can see some of his drawings that he's done on an iPad for doing the drawings um, so and a lot of those are time lapse but his point mainly through this is that it's architecture being a non-verbal form of communication so mm -hmm. that's why you have to do drawings and that's why you want to do beautiful drawings just like you want to have when you speak to somebody you want to do nice and you want to have a nice speech or have a nice vocabulary it's the same thing with drawing mm -hmm. and i think that's a good point you know that's something that none of us mentioned that that's a reason why they used to do these beautiful drawings yeah so i thought that was very nice of him to sort of write in and and, and not only talk to us personally but also to have some thoughts on the, on on our topic last week 
Yeah, and I can imagine him, you know, in his accent saying those exact words. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's something that, you know, thinking back on classes when that's something that he was very, it was very always part of his lectures, you know, like oh, yeah. drawing and, and how it should be drawn and why you draw this way. And he yeah. always used to say beautiful drawings. That was the other yeah. thing he always used to say. Yeah. yeah, and also traditional, right? I mean, there was like a, a lot of emphasis on tra- uh, on on traditional, which is basically going back to your roots, yeah, right? to the roots of the of your career, of the career of the profession, of yeah. even of yourself and mm-hmm. your culture. That's really cool. Yeah, so thank you know, um, thanks to Dr. Megger for writing in, and if anybody else has you know an opinion on any of these subjects, please write us an email and. Or a tweet, or any way you can get a get a hold of us, and there's some something you wanna mention about the topic yourself. Yeah, and we're definitely gonna post some of uh, his work because mm-hmm. it, to me, is it's he's an example of how of just a professor that continues to produce mm-hmm. and he continues to teach. Yeah, you know, he's still teaching at Kansas, yeah. Kansas State, yeah, Kansas, yeah, State, Kansas University. State University. Well, and it, and it kind of shows you what kind of a professor he was that. Uh, you know, we yes. are all at least 10 years out of school and we are still talking about Dr. Magyar, mm-hmm. which is uh, an indicator of the impact uh, that he had on us, uh, you know, professionally and, and individually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it also shows you how much he cares about the people he teaches because he remembers all three of us, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes. We, yeah, we knew him for, what, four years of our lives there, really, three, four years of our lives, and he remembers, yes. remembers that very well. Obviously wonderful. So, yeah, so cheers to Dr. Magyar. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and I guess that's as good a place I need to wrap this up. This has been eight, show number eight. And uh, I think good discussion. Good mm-hmm. pro- good product of the week. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, Ties it all together. Exactly. And uh, we're back. We're, we're in the new place. I think we, we'll we see more more uh, projects that we'll be, we'll be working on. And yeah. Shout out to Ray for helping us move. Exactly. Thank you so Thanks much, Ray. Ray Without you, this wouldn't have happened. Maybe next time you can pick a hotter day and heavier stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Lots of books. We have way too yeah, many analog yes. books. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. As always, you can email the show at, at madepodcast at gmail.com. Check out our Facebook page. Tell everybody where they can hear more about you, Claudia. At thecityecologist.com or at thecityecologist on Twitter. Ray, you have your YouTube channel, which I, yeah. your YouTube channel does have. If people search for you for Ray Pena on YouTube, they will get your stuff. They yeah, will find um, it. Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm uh, obviously Ray Pena is a lot like John Smith, but mm-hmm. uh, I've done a search myself, and I think I'm the only one with any content in the channel. So mine will probably be the first yeah. one to come up. Mm-hmm. You should maybe change it to the Ray Pena. And- yeah, <laughs> you know, it's a, you bring up a good point because mm-hmm. I was thinking maybe I did. I would do Ray's workshop or something. I'm not exactly sure uh, how to distinguish it with a name. Mm. You know what? You know what? There's nothing better than to like let's ask the listeners. You know what? That's an excellent <laughs> idea. If you if you have a suggestion for Ray's <laughs> what Ray should name his YouTube channel, so let it send an email or a tweet or something in. Yeah. Let's see, let's post see it what, on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. Post it on the page. Let's see what yeah, people that's think. A, yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah, cool. cool. So yeah, we got Ray's and then also the name of your uh, Facebook page. Yeah, and, and these links will be in the mm-hmm. in the notes, but it's the Homemade Lathe Group uh, where it's a it's a uh, kind of a community of people who are like-minded about building uh, woodworking lathes in general, but, la- you know, lathes, 
uh, at home, uh, in, you know, building a machine to suit your needs, uh, you may not be able to buy what you need, but you can most certainly can build it. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, it's a it's an awesome page. A lot of a lot of discussions and a lot of help there. So, everybody should check that out. And for myself, I'm City Aperture both on .com and in Twitter and in Facebook as well. I don't do much in Facebook, but you can find me there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's where you can find us. Thanks everybody for listening. Thank All you. Right. Bye-bye.